Hello Life Changes Church, we are in our Move Again series as we look through the book of Exodus and how God took the Israelites out of slavery, through the wilderness and into his promises. So why don't you grab a notebook and pen and enjoy this sermon. Now we are moving again. If you didn't know, we've been preaching that for quite a while. About two and a half months through the book of Exodus, as God is leading us through this incredible book and he's teaching us, and, and we've systematically worked not every chapter and every detail, it's, we could be here for three years, maybe four. Um, but we've systematically worked our way through the story, and it's this incredible story of God moving his people, and they've been in slavery for 400 years. And as I was preaching the series, and we got to the end of the series, I realized most people think, and even commentators are preaching this book, and preaching the light of, well, God, obviously the big agenda is God getting his people out of Egypt. This geographical change of location, getting them out and under, away from the whips of their slave masters for 400 years. But as, I, as I've been in this book and delved in this book, I've realized that actually God's people have often shone under their greatest trial. You mentioned Meshach, Sherak, and Abednego. They were essentially slaves in a foreign land, taken away from their home nation and forced to thrive. Daniel, same thing. Um, you, you look at, at much of the early church, we're always under pressure. I'm not sure the big agenda of Exodus is necessarily the geographical location of God's people, but rather God getting Egypt out of his people's hearts. The greatest territory that God looks for in our lives is our hearts. And 400 years in a land of oppression and challenge, you know what happens? It starts taking territory in our hearts. We start acting like slaves. We start thinking like slaves. We start telling the narrative generation to generation. There were slave people in subjugation to whips and chains and the laws of man rather than God's people. But I think God had a different vision. And not a vision of a scattered people watering, walking a land in the wilderness, but rather his treasured possession, which he says in Exodus 19, Now if you obey me fully and keep my command, then out of all nations, you, you will be my treasured possession. And yes, he's speaking to the Israelite people of the day, and then we know Jesus comes and he casts his net wide. He says, actually, all who will receive my blood will be a special possession. Special, my special possession. I think the biggest journey, again, is not Israel getting out of Egypt. Because if we leave the gospel there, it's just about getting people out of their sin. It's just about getting people out of their brokenness. It's just about getting people out. Of, but if we don't know where we're taking people to and what the ultimate landing space is and what the landing space for our hearts is, I'm telling you, we get stuck in this Christian life. And we can often get stuck in just religion. Where it's about, what have you come out of? No, it's, Jesus says, come in. Come into abundant life. Come into the relation with the Father. Come into truth. Come into life. Come in. Because my Father's house is many rooms. Come in. And as we've been preaching this series, I realize Egypt takes a place. It's 400 years of slavery, and yet God wanted worshipers. So I said, let my people go worship me. Because worship is the act of a son and a daughter of the living God. And the privilege, 400 years of surviving, yet God says, I need you to learn that I'm not just a God of just enough. I'm a God of more than enough. I'm going to teach you that in the desert. Sometimes we begrudge our our desert journeys. Maybe you're even looking back at the last two years going, why? I would ask you to ask that question of God. Say, God, why? What is it? 
Maybe the last two years hasn't been a desert journey for you. Maybe your business has thrived, your marriage has thrived. I don't know. But for some, it has. Go to God and say, what is it that you're wanting to learn in this challenging time, this challenging place? 400 years of never enough. You see, God is continuing to speak. Religion says, let's just get out of Egypt. Maybe you don't know what I mean by the difference between religion and relationship with Jesus because I want to preach a gospel that's about relation with Jesus, not just following rules and principles. And sometimes religion is just get them out of Egypt. So what we love to do in the church often defaults to is that means I have nothing to do with Egypt. Let's go move to someplace in the hill country, get 25 Christians together, we'll farm the land together, we'll worship Jesus together, and we'll just move on. But I'm telling you, that has no mission. We're not called to hide away from the world and hide away from Egypt. What we're called to do is be people of free. The challenge is just running through the desert, but still with Egypt in our hearts, we're essentially slaves. We're just on the run. Doesn't mean we're free. Always looking back. Will they catch me? Will the law get me? Will my sin get me? Will my brokenness get me? Always running. And we think we're running to something, but we're just running from something. No, Jesus says, I've set you free, which means any run that you're on, you're running to me. You're running to the Father. You're running towards love. You're running towards grace. You're running towards his abundance. This is the gospel. And God is challenging and speaking us, and he's moving us on. See, life has changed in the last years in lots of ways. Who knows life's changed? Maybe in your life something's changed. Surely, anyone, no one. Give me a hand. Lie to me, please. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Because uh, I read a study the other day, and life has changed, by the way. They studied it. Clever people with, like, lots of things, like his name afterwards. They're, like, lots of things, PhDs and MDD and I'm not, LLD and Z, BZQ, all, all there. And um, in the UK, they've just done a study. You know what one of the interesting things they've discovered that have happened the last two years? Tooth decay. Let me educate you. People have been working from home. Let me give you some stats. 31% more snacking on sweets. 47% less brushing of teeth in the morning. Where else are we going? I forgot my glasses. 28% less dental visits scheduled. Has resulted in a mad rush on dentists in the UK. Because people working home and they thought, well, I'm too, why do I need to brush my teeth? They can't smell my halitosis across Zoom. Ha, ha, you can't smell anything. What are you doing? Ha, just checking. Ha, you can't. No, so why do I get to get up and brush my teeth? So, and we laugh about it, but I want to tell you that's how quick and easy we get into bad habits. Bad habits. You just need to know what Ed Sheeran sings about to know where bad habits get you to. Yeah, not going to quote because we've got enough redheads in this church preaching. So we go, but bad habits happen quickly. We, we don't have to make a determination. I'm not going to brush my teeth today, tomorrow, and the next week because I don't have to. I don't know if anyone woke up and said that. But I know that bad habits form so quickly, and yet they lead to rot and decay. There's no difference in our lives in other areas. And I want to speak tomorrow and today. Tomorrow. Yes, you're coming back to church tomorrow. We're gonna, now, I want to speak today about a real good habit that was formed in the desert. See, during their slave years, 
The Israelite people would work, and they would go where they were sent, to this pyramid and to that structure. But then in the desert, they stuck together, two and a half million people, traversing 40 years together, together in the desert, and together across the dry sea, in the Red Sea where God opened up, and together facing the Amalekites, and together trusting for water, and together coming around the presence of God and encamping around the presence of God. They got into a good habit of being together. And yes, you're saying, Mark, you're preaching the converted. We're at church, or we're at line, or we're on earth. I want to speak to the potential bad habit with a pastoral concern that I know is causing chaos. And it's the church of actually we can just do this Christianity and radical individualism that has been creeping in for decades, not now, for decades. It's me and my Jesus behind my doors at home early on morning. And as long as it's me and my Jesus, we're good. And I want to tell you that Exodus challenges this radical individualism and calls us to become part of a people. I just happened to have my passport with me this morning. This says to any nation I arrive at, I'm part of a people. See, this doesn't say what people. This can be confusing. But this isn't confusing. I'm part of a beautiful people called South Africans. We have a history. We have a story. There is pain in our story. There is brokenness in our story. There is victory in our story. There is overcoming in our story. We have challenges in our past and we have challenges in our future. But I am part of a people and I'm proud to be part of this people. God chose for me to be part of this people. So this little document shouts to the world. And some people maybe don't like it so much when I put you up with this one. If I had a red one or a blue one or a multicolored one, I'm not sure. Maybe they let me in a bit easier. And sometimes they give me a hard time, but I don't care because I'm part of a people. It identifies me. It, it shouts it. I don't get to choose, get to America in a world where we seem to be able to pick what we want to identify. I'm American. And they look, and they go, but that's green. No, let me in. I'm American. No, you're not. You're South African. Why? Because I'm identified as part of a people. I was birthed. I was placed. I have a story, a history, a legacy, part of a people. What's well, the same with God's people in the desert? What does God say? Well, Exodus 5, let my people go. So they may worship me. Whose people? His people. Not a people go. Exodus 6. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Exodus 7. Let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness. Exodus 9. Let my people go so they may worship me. Exodus 10. Let my people go. You're getting the trend. Exodus 10 verse 3, let my people go. And then Exodus 19, the culmination of this, where God expresses his passion, his desire, takes it to the next level. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you, you will be my treasured possession. Pronouns are important. You will be my treasured possession. See, this just says I'm part of a people. A special people, but they're not a treasured possession. We are not Sora Ramaphosa's possession. We're not a government's possession. We're a people together. But Exodus 19 tells me I'm his, and we are his, pressured. And he's called us to be a people. And so cultures of this world, like individualism, I'm telling you that are not part of God's word, radical individualism. We take part of our lives, and it starts pulling us away and back to Egypt. That's what's happening. It starts taking territory in our heart. You know what happens easily then? Offense. You know what happens easily then? Well, that's not so hot. 
yeah, that guy's not such a good preacher. I mean, why'd Bunty do that song? No, but when we're in a people, we realize that's our people. When I walk in my house at home, I'm not going, hmm, I wish someone had painted that wall. But when you walk in a venue, you do notice that. And we don't paint walls in this place and try to have the church looking good and, and, and present worship that is palatable because the family won't appreciate it. We do it because we want to serve a city who are walking in with different eyes. Do you understand that? Because this is my family. Whether he sings out of tune or in tune, I know he's a worshiper and he knows called me to lead me in worship. So I follow. But when we're serving a city, we rise and we stand and we serve them. And what makes the people of Exodus a people? Well, let me give you the narrative again. We're going from Exodus all the way through. Stick with us. If you're a visitor today, I'm sorry, but we've been eating through this word for two and a half months. But let me tell you something of what's happened. Number one, they were saved by blood. Where? Well, the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. And God had spoken to the Israelite people, said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the blood of a perfect young lamb. And then I want you to cover your doors with it. Understand this, that by doing that, it was a public commitment to the God of Israel in a hostile land that could have resulted in punishment. It was an abomination. We see it in Exodus 8. Uh, he, um, he asks, and Moses asks, isn't that something that people, are, shouldn't we do it outside? And can't you do it outside? And says, an abomination to the local people that you would take uh, something that was designed for an altar. Understand blood and the sprinkling of blood and the pouring of blood was designed for an altar. It was designed for a place of the Shekinah glory of God to be. That's what it was designed for. And yet God says, now I'm taking what is hidden away. And I'm identifying my people at the front door. And I'm saying, will you in faith be my people? It's a public demonstration. With the blood on the doors. An act of faith. An insult to a nation around. To follow Jesus is not about being understood every time. It's just not. So it carries on. Oh, they, they, it was, they were saved by his blood. Well, they were guided in his ways. How do we know that? We'll get Acts 20, and we get the Ten Commandments, and God comes, and maybe to you the Ten Commandments are these things you think Christians live by, and they are very helpful to us. But understand this. God inherited a people. He took a people who had been 400 years of slavery in a foreign land and had learned the ways of that land, and God said, I need my people to be different. Why? Because they are my people. They're mine. And so he brings the laws and the Ten Commandments not as something to be this heavy-handed. He was guiding them in the journey of being his people. He's guiding them. He's loving them. Maybe you can even use the word he's disciplining them. He's disciplining them. He's creating boundaries. Why? Because they were clueless. Because for 400 years, the only thing they responded to were the whip on this side or that side or on their back. God says, I've got to guide my people. I've got to lead them. And so when he starts speaking, God didn't want a people who, who, who were displaced. He wanted a people who were different. 
Thirdly, he provided for them in the desert in Exodus 16. And I love it. The people grumbled. He says, then Moses, verse 9, told Aaron, so the entire, say to the entire Israelite community, who's that? The people, all of them, young, old, all of them, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Oh, they grumbled together too. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Oh, he gets them together, and the glory of the Lord starts appearing. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you know that I am the Lord your God. So God provides for them as a people together, and that's why we do community together, and we celebrate the wins of others. And we provide and we fight for. And I love, I phoned someone the other day and they said, I said, where are you going? No, can I phone you back? I'm just dropping off a meal for someone. I phoned someone two minutes later and they said, actually, they're on somewhere else to someone else's house to drop off a meal. I mean, the church is on the move. It's on the move. Because people are aware that the people are in need. I'm trying to make a point here. I hope you're getting it. Point number four, he marked them. And this is the most important one with his presence in the middle of them. And they become a people who together move. Well, don't believe me? Here it is. Exodus 40. In all the travels of the Israelites. Say all. All. Now, we've got to say it with passion. It's Sunday morning, 8.30. Come on. I know winter is coming, but in all the travels. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out. Who? The people. Not Sam and Johnny didn't feel like it, or, or Desiree and, and, and this guy and that guy, no. And, and, and Bongani wanted to go one way, but uh, you know, Jezebel obviously wanted to go the other way. No, the people, the people, the people went left together. The people went right together. Why? Because the people were following their king. Until the cloud lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. I love that word, all. So they're marked by blood. Amazing. They were guided in his ways. They provide, he provided for them and marked with his presence. So what does that look like in the New Testament? Well, I want to present to you, Acts 2 gives us a picture. The Spirit of God has just been poured out. Pentecost, and life starts to happen in the church. And we aren't given a prescription of what local church should look like, but I think it's a beautiful description of the potential of local church. I'm a believer in local church. I I believe in it. This is not, uh, uh, trust me, I've said it before, I didn't want to be a pastor. I spent 10 years in corporate, and I loved it, and God spoke because he spoke. He said he did something on the earth called the local church. It's glorious. It's magnificent. When it's right, it's changing the world. And so we partner together and play different roles and parts because it's glorious. And this is the potential. They, say they. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. You want to see signs and wonders? There's a sign and wonder right there. Mr. and Mrs. Mugad Saweta and the grace of God in action. See, we, I believe in God raising the dead. That's why we sing the songs, and I want to see it, and I've seen measures of it over my many years of walking with God. But I also look across this room, and there are signs and wonders. Some of you have forgotten 
what God has done. Signs and wonders. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What you probably don't even know is how many cars have been given away in this community. Two people in the community. You don't know that. You don't know that Tyler used to be and was preaching for many years, lived in 18 homes, different homes in the life of this church because his home, and that amazing lady loved him and looked after him the most because his home scenario wasn't conducive to a young man. In school, he lived in homes. So that's the local church, and I'm trying to give you something of a passion. It's more than a word on a Sunday, and wow, Mark, that preach was good. I appreciate that, but the church is better when we're together. And I'm making an unashamed claim and call to doing life together at this time that we are believers. 44% of the epistles speak about relational unity. Why? Because when the brothers dwell together in unity, God commands a blessing. And yet we're preaching and we're seeing a gospel of me on my own. God, bless me, bless me, bless me. I don't see it. I don't see it. I see God pour out on your people, your treasured possession. But here are the three powerful words of that scripture. It's, it's not signs and wonders. It's not um, together. It's they devoted themselves. They, the people. See, I'm pretty sure there might have been some who didn't put blood on their doorframe that night. We don't know. But I'm pretty sure out of two and a half million, there might have been one or two who the embarrassment and the potential offense to their neighbor, I don't want to offend my neighbor, I'll put it on the inside. You ever thought about that? I'll just put it on the inside. I just don't want to offend, you know, Johnny and Sue down the road. They'll be offended. They had different religion, different story. Now, that would have been a tragedy. They devoted themselves. See, here's what you'll never have of you in this church. I will never demand of you because I don't see the Father demanding of me. I see the Word at times demanding some things of sons and daughters and challenging and all that, but I don't see the mandate of the church or the preacher man demanding. And I've never been in denominations where the, and, and I hate to say it, I've heard the stories where pastors pitch up at your house to collect the monthly tithe and Sorry if you came from the moon. I'm being honest. Because I don't see it in the word. They devoted themselves. My job is to preach the gospel so that you fall in love with the one who loves you. And out of response to the one who gave you everything, you pour out and you devote yourself. And I've said it before many times. I do not know a single thing about who gives in the life of this church. You know that. I don't know a thing. I don't know a name. I don't know. And I love that. Why? Because it's not my job. God said he will build his church. God said he will provide for my kids in this journey. God said that my job is to keep preaching Jesus. And when I start demanding and devoting others on behalf of this, I'm telling you, we stop being the people of God. We start being slaves again. Slaves aren't free. Sons and daughters are free. Sons and daughters get to devote themselves. And, And my provocation today is, will you devote yourself to fellowship? 
And, and I grew up in a, under a magnificent theologian called Rory Diet who says, the only way I know fellowship is two fellows in one ship. <laughs> He's not very bright, but it's fine. Lovely guy. No, I'm joking. <laughs> He's one of my best mates. And, and, but fellowship, it's where there's more than one fellow in one ship, and our ship is Jesus. It's his blood. It's the perfection of his cross. That's our ship. It's not life changes church. It's not. We're part of the church. But we're called to be in a ship for some fellows. Together. Navigating life together. Sharing highs. Come on. And the next day going to a funeral. And that's the privilege of community. And in that community, there'll be signs and wonders. In that community, there'll be something powerful. Why? Because they devoted themselves. And let me say this, devotion's not cheap and it's not easy. It's never been. Devotion is not something that should be easy. It's not something that should be costless. And yet we live in a world that I, I want all the privileges of intimacy, I just don't want commitment. So you've got sexual appetites that are satisfied by someone on the other side of the world because there'll never be a commitment cost, borrowing maybe some money or time. And yet, the Bible says, my people will be different. They'll be different. And because they'll be different, my presence will be in the middle of them and they'll see signs and wonders. Why? Because they've devoted themselves to Jesus and they've devoted themselves to his community and they've devoted themselves to his mission and they've devoted themselves not to a man of this earth called a preacher and his vision, but to Jesus and his mission. Please never devote yourself to anyone. Not to one man on this earth. Don't, don't live with any devotion to me, please. Or any preacher man. Because then you take me out of the body. I am part of the body. So never let my words determine your actions. If I'm teaching about Jesus, let the revelation of Jesus determine your actions. Let the revelation of Jesus pull you into more and more devotion to Jesus. Let the revelation of Jesus bring life inside of you and pour it out. And that is called the people of God. That is what will change the world. That is what will call this next generation to say, we want something real. They're crying for something real. They're crying for something authentic. They're crying for something costly. They're not scared to pay a price. They just don't know what price to pay and where to pay it. And it's our privilege as we live our lives as part of the people of God, traversing with the nation of God and His people, with His grace upon, it's part of the privilege to devote ourselves yeah. to the one who has poured out His everything. It's counterculture, it's a sign and wonder. I honestly believe the greatest sign and wonder to this world is the church. It's you. And so we've got to work hard to make sure that we would move again towards people. And we would move again towards devotion. We would move again towards a sacrifice of praise and sacrifice and partnership. And when our worship isn't costly in a bit of energy on a Sunday morning, it's like, Dvanti, that's far too excited on a Sunday morning. No, I'm singing about the one who rose from the dead so that others can rise from the dead. It's calling me to devotion. See, but it's not just what you're moving towards. You've got to move away from some bad habits. 
We've got to move away from it. We've got to move away from isolation, move away from smallness, move away from fear that maybe you'll get hurt in relationships. I've been in church literally most of my life. I was in one, I've been literally in two churches. One I was in for 20 years, and this one, <laughs> I don't have much church experience. But when you're in one church for 20 years, I promise you you're gonna get hurt. I promise you're gonna get offended. I promise you my best mates that I do life with, the ones that love my kids, that fight for my also the ones that have hurt me at times. That will happen. It's called being a people. It's called allowing the grace of God in those 44% of the epistles to sit upon us and deal with our hearts. We've got to move away from smallness. We've got to move away from self-obsession. And I'm scared because I'm watching people make decisions out of fear with religious language that will have generational implications. The decisions I make out of fear will land on my kids and in their lives. I'm telling you. God says, now come on. My treasured possession. My treasured possession. Saved by the blood. Guided by His Spirit. Inside of us, leading us. And, the, and we see it, it's, it says, um, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Written on our hearts, not on some Moses tablet my heart provided for us just one picture I was supposed to get you a long time ago but I got too excited my mandate and our mandate it's the second one on the wall there reach reach far but then raise up is to see people growing in the knowledge of God and growing in their sonship and growing in maturity and growing in the ability to reach the world and growing in representation of Jesus I would tell you that growth doesn't happen just on your own in a study now growth happens number one the first big circle with intimacy with Jesus that's where growth happens Yes, intimacy with Jesus, revelation of Jesus. But growth always happens in community and walking it out with others that I know something of, whoa. See, Barry made me excited. I nearly felt, but I know something of Barry, and I know the last two years have been hard. I know there's been loss. I know there's been challenge. I know there's been separation from community forced by circumstance. But when Barry can be here, he's here. So when I see Barry, I know there's been a price paid to be here. And I'm encouraged. Because I need Barry. And then lastly, the mission, that we aren't just intimacy with God and that we've got relation with us. We're on a mission together. I'd probably add one more circle, the hard knocks of life. I think that's a given, that the hard knocks of life will also grow us. That I wish I could take it off you, but pain is still one of the greatest teachers we'll ever meet. And yet God's calling his people to shine. Will you stand with me this morning? And there, I'm supposed to show a couple of others, but, but at the invitation of this, maybe one more, it's, it's, it's come in. Sunday's part of it. And I want to put it up as simply and plain as that Sunday is part of it. Why do we do serving? I said to the serving teams on Thursday morning, the reason we have a serving culture in this church is because I ministered in a church six years ago. They hired three people to do everything. Those three people did the coffee, did the welcoming in the car park, they cleaned the hall, they moved the chairs, they served everyone coffee, they cleaned everything, and no one in the church served. And I came back, that I don't think that's the best representation. Because I get that at a conference venue. I want to be together in the mission. 
I want people to be forced to rub shoulders with each other. And my encouragement is take a next step away from self-protection. Take a next step away from smallness. Uh, Take a next step away from protecting your time, your talents and treasures and take a step towards the kingdom of God and the community of God. Take a step and I will tell you what you will find. You'll discover Jesus. Your devotion is what he longs for. Not, this is not a pitch for more servants. We actually, we have servants. We always can create more space for people to learn and grow. That's not what it's about. It's a pitch to say, take your next step in. And, and this guy and his amazing wife, they have one little kid, Nake, who's sick now. They've got another one coming next month. He's just moved from a candidate attorney to an attorney. And I'll tell you all that because they're also just starting a life group. You want to know what's an inconvenient time to devote yourself? Look at him. But you want to know who you can learn something from. You want to know who can challenge growth. You want to know who can give you something of a picture of as they were here at 6 o'clock this morning. And we take it for granted because we don't know that. No, I want to call on you to move again. Not trying to drive numbers on Sunday. I really don't live and die on those things. I don't even know what they are. I do that from my own heart. I want people to be moving with the people of God. And I get concerned when I see people going left, but God's going right. That's right. That's left. I get concerned. And it's happening now. And my past is hot. Because I love people. I do what I do because I love people. I don't love preaching. I, I, I find it a privilege, but I love people. So when I see people out of fear going left, but I see God's word and his ways going another direction, my heart goes, God, please would you protect them? I cannot demand of them, but would they encounter you and devote themselves? Thank you so much for watching and listening. That was an amazing sermon, and we love seeing what God is doing in and through our lives as we move through the book of Exodus. So if you'd like to find out more or give the rest of the series a watch or listen, Head over to our website, follow us on social media and get connected. We'll see you soon.